Welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and it is show number 150. That's right, 150. Unbelievable. So happy and proud to uh, have gotten to 150. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, super excited to be a member of the Education Podcast Network. Uh, awesome to be part of Voice Ed Radio Canada and the great work they're doing. There's great podcasts on both of those networks, uh, certainly including Education, Leadership, and Beyond, uh, but just thrilled. I am going to sneeze right now, excuse me, um, but happy to be part of those groups and uh, happy to have gotten to 150. Really cool. We're going to talk about that uh, in a moment. Today's guest, Dr. Eric Youngman from Illinois and uh he is the Director of Curriculum Instruction in Libertyville. We were just chatting. Uh, that's near in between Chicago and Milwaukee. And he has got this book here, right? How many times parents, students just said, why are they making me do this? What is this about? Uh, this book discusses everything about homework and all the different aspects of homework. And um, we're going to go through some of these 12 points here, but really well written, really different too. So Looking forward to uh, talking with Dr. Eric, uh, and again, uh, his book here, 12 Characteristics of Deliberate Homework. That being said, if you are watching live, uh, please jump in with a question or comment. I see we have a number of uh, listeners and watchers here. Thank you so much for tuning in. So let's get started. It is show number 150, and uh, you know, what do you learn after doing 150 podcasts, Right. What are some of the themes, the general themes that are kind of kind of taken away? When I started this, uh, I was on a local radio station uh, here in Port Jervis, and I, I didn't know where it was going to go. We used to be live on the radio, and then uh, we put it out on social media, and then things changed, and boom, and now we're live on Facebook. Um, but we've gotten to 150, which I'm great. I hope to get to 300. I hope to get to 500. I hope to get to 1,000, right? I really enjoyed doing it. And what are some of the things I've learned? Well, number one, if you want to be successful at anything, you just got to keep doing it. You got to be persistent. You got to keep rolling it with it. We've had every technological issue you can imagine. We've had more snafus. We've had uh, cancellations. We've had just issue after issue. If you want to keep being successful, keep rolling. Keep putting one foot in front of you, uh, one another. Keep going, even when you don't not sure how, right? And and each week I'm just committed to doing a show and keep rolling and uh, meeting the guests and all of that just keeps happening. So it's great. Number two, there's a variety of leadership types out there. There's just a, a great variety uh, in people, right? It reminds me of the great TED Talk by Malcolm Gladwell on spaghetti sauce, right? Malcolm Gladwell, you want to hear a great story? Watch Malcolm Gladwell's uh, uh, TED Talk on spaghetti sauce. But there's variety, right? Not one size fits all. Not one type of leader fits all. We've talked to doctors. We've talked to lawyers. We've talked to educators, teachers, students, uh, college uh, kids, you know, just uh, people in the military, uh, a ton of, uh, of different types of folks. And uh, th there's a lot of variety out there. There's also a lot of people that that they have a terrific message and their message is not out there. We haven't heard them. And now podcasts, now during a pandemic, 
people have their buds in, they're walking, they're separate. Uh, podcasts are through the roof. My listenership through the roof because uh, of, of this time. But also, there's a lot of voices out there that deserve to be heard, and uh, uh, they are. And lastly, people have passions. They want to share about their passions. I always ask, you know, what, what makes your motor tick? What gets you going? And people like to share their passions. And uh, that comes out in these podcasts. I learn a ton about them. But people are very passionate about, about leadership, about uh, schools, uh, about being good people. And, and I am fortunate and blessed to have those come out in the podcast. So just a few points that I've learned uh, on uh, the show, 150 shows. And I'm really proud uh, to have today's guest on. Let's bring him in. And we'll give him a second to come on here. This is uh, Dr. Eric Youngman from Illinois. Eric, welcome to Education Leadership Beyond. Greetings. I'm glad to talk with you today. Yeah, and welcome. Uh, you look great. You got the sport coat on. Uh, you look fantastic. Uh, Eric, um, from Illinois, Libertyville, Illinois, in between Milwaukee and Chicago. How, how close to water are you? How, how far away is the water? Uh, Waukegan is about 10 minutes from me. So I got, I'm 10 minutes east of, or 10 minutes west of Lake Michigan. And then I got um, Chicago is about 45 minutes from me and Milwaukee is about an hour. So I'm sandwiched in between Lake Michigan, Milwaukee and Chicago. Fantastic. Eric, introduce yourself. You have your doctorate. You're an author. You're in a great spot in Libertyville. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm just finishing, or I'm in the middle of my eighth year as Director of Curriculum, Instruction, and Assessment for Libertyville District 70. Um, I previously was a principal there, and before that, I was an assistant principal and a first grade teacher. Um, I have my three daughters. They're in fifth, seventh, and ninth grade, um, so it's been fun um, learning with them at home during this remote learning, and when they're not learning, we like to do a lot of sports together, so soccer, basketball, and golf, but you know, I'm blessed. Libertyville is a great school district, awesome educators. Uh, great parents and awesome students. Um, so I'm enjoying that. And within my role, I mean, I'm responsible for everything um, that relates to curriculum, instruction, and assessment. And a lot of the discussions initially were about curriculum, about adoptions, about gradings and standards. Um, it's been great recently to talk a lot more about instruction because um, I think we can have some great impact with those discussions. Yeah. And your daughters are in school in Libertyville with you? No, they're in Gurney, so they're learning remotely um, at an elementary school, a middle school, and then my freshman is in high school. But they have been learning remotely this entire time. Um, in Libertyville, where I work, um, we began the year remotely, but now is it is a hybrid. So students can choose. About 25% are learning remotely, and the other 75% are in person right now. Yeah, we have similar numbers, uh, and that's fantastic. Um, Tell me about leading teachers through this time, Eric. It's a, it's a tricky time. People are stressed. Some people want to be in. Some people think we should be out. You know, tell me about leadership through uh, you know, teaching and learning through this time. Definitely emotional. But I mean, I guess I would say it's a public health crisis that's impacting schools, students, teachers, and families. So it's a difficult time right now. But I think what I'm going through um, is probably best exemplified with a tweet that I put out in April where I just talked about 
um, different aspects or phases of remote learning. And I think that's what all educators are going through. Uh, the first phase we're talking about establishing consistency um, and planning to align with requirements and supporting safety, social and emotional support for students um, and staff. If you don't have that, we can't progress with any of the other initiatives. Mm -hmm. um, phase two talks about communicating clearly with stakeholders and training staff. Phase three is establishing a culture of relationships and routines to support social and emotional needs. Again, that's students, it's families, and it's teachers. Phase four empowers learning aligned with priority standards and skills. Phase five, enhance engagement, choice, connections, and creativity. And phase six is gathering feedback from stakeholders to guide continuous improvement. So I put that out in April, and then I was interviewed about two months ago, and now it's still applicable now. I think we're all going through that routine where we're trying to focus on the, fa on the safety of the students. We're trying to make sure we focus on priority standards, but then how can we engage students? How can we provide them choice? How can we gather that feedback? So it's kind of a cycle that I just created based on what everyone was going through, um, but I like to revisit it because I think it exemplifies what teachers are going through, uh, what the students are, it's not easy. Uh, but same with administrators, there's no plan book for what we're going through. We're trying to learn from other educators. Um, I'm very active on Twitter, so I love seeing what other school districts in the US, but even in different countries, how are they handling it? Um, what changes have they made? If they choose to open the schools, what else are they doing? Are they shutting down sports? Are they closing different businesses? Because if you want schools open, you probably need other sacrifices but then that's another, it's a political and a very emotional conversation. So I am happy that our schools are open, um, but at the same time, teachers and families all have different opinions. So if we can give them that choice, I think that's powerful, um, but it's been a tough time for everyone as we started this in the spring kind of is an, e in an emergency protocol. And then we evolved for the beginning of the year. And now we all have to hunker down these next couple months as the vaccine is, is coming. Um, but at the same time, we still need to be cautious. Absolutely. And Eric, you mentioned phase six about, you know, taking input and listening to stakeholders. Tell me about that process. How do, how do you facilitate that? Because learn, uh, listening during this time is so, so important. Us as leaders, right, listening. How, how do you facilitate number six and in taking input from stakeholders? It's an easy concept. You want to make sure that you're asking for feedback. You're having those conversations. You can have those with surveys, but you don't want to survey people to death. Um, I have my wife's school district. She's a speech pathologist. I have my three daughters districts and my own, and we are bombarded with multiple emails about all these updates that, and they continue to change as well as surveys. So although you want to gather information with survey, I think you very, you need to be conscientious and purposeful of when and what questions you're asking. It might be one or two qualitative questions to understand some specific data, and that includes some open-ended questions. It's always great to understand what the parent's vision is, um, but at the same time, what are your teachers thinking? And when you can, how can you ask the students as well? So when we were doing some research about homework, I did involve the students at the middle school. Um, with every concept, I do not think you have to ask the students, but when you can, just listen to them. It might just be a conversation in the hallway. Um, it doesn't always need to be formable, but I think it's making time to be purposeful, to ask those questions. And then even more importantly, just listening to what they have to say, um, how they say it, their body language, you know, how passionate they are and understanding the different versions, because just because there's the loudest voice, that doesn't mean that's everyone um, out of all your stakeholders. So just really try to understand what they're feeling 
um, and what they're recommending. Because when I work with teachers, the District 70 teachers are amazing. And when I have a problem, I talk it through with them. They come up with some amazing solutions. Same with parents. Whatever topic we're talking about, they can share their perspective. And if you combine all of those with the student perspective, you're going to come out with a great solution that then you can revisit to make even better. And when people had a say in that solution, when people had a part in it, you know, they take ownership of it, right? Ownership it's not, and buy-in, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's a great, great uh, method and, and awesome that you had that uh, in your, you know, way of kind of navigating through this, Eric. Um, you said the word homework, right? And, and uh, that's one of the ways you and I connected, but you wrote this book here. And, uh, you know, where, where did it come from, Eric? Where did the, the topic come from that you felt that, you know, passionate enough to, to kind of get a book on this? Yeah, ultimately, I wanted to help students, families, and educators by making homework more meaningful and reasonable. Um, mm -hmm. So my school district um, decided that we wanted to evaluate homework, and ultimately, we created some homework belief statements. So I was in charge of that initiative. I collaborated with the teachers who were awesome, the parents, and like I said, some of the Highland Middle School students as well to gather some of that feedback. And then two other guiding forces, um, one of my daughters just had excessive amounts of homework and she is over involved in sports. She's on multiple soccer teams, multiple basketball teams, and she golfs, but she shouldn't have over two hours of homework. And it was, it was a lot. And then the third part was my learning influences on Twitter. So I would put out some information or recommendations regarding homework and I'm watching my daughters play soccer and I'm tweeting about it. And people just came back with these passionate responses, very emotional. Sometimes they agreed. A lot of the times they did not. Um, and eventually I communicated with people on Twitter. And eventually I re I always try to reach out to the experts. So I yeah. reached out to Kathy Vaderot. She wrote some great books about grading and homework. And I asked her about homework belief statements. And ultimately she was saying, Eric, you're coming up with a great perspective where you're giving recommendations of how to assign homework. You should present. You should write it articles. And I thought through it a little bit and I had created so many images for Twitter uh, for my district and that I started to share that really a book just started to take shape. And so I skipped the articles and I jumped right to a book. I thought I had enough good ideas. Routledge accepted it. Um, so I had the ideas percolating for about a year, but I had two months to write it. Um, and that part was awesome. But again, it just took that nudge from Kathy Vaderot, um, which was helpful. Um, and then since then, I've been writing different proposals for conferences um, so I could talk about homework. And because homework is a unique topic for a pandemic, um, I connected it to independent practice because independent practice is the same thing as homework. But overall, I was sharing ideas on Twitter. People were sharing feedback back to me. I started to combine some ideas and kind of like you're writing a dissertation, my dissertation for real was about grading. But same thing, I started to look for trends um, and ideas that I could group together and eventually the idea emerged. So it was a lot of talking, but it's, it's one of those things where I like to encourage our teachers to promote opportunities for our students to interact with authentic audiences because <clears throat> I'm a kind of shy person but if I get a topic that I'm passionate about, I like sharing information about homework and I'm ready to talk about that. But also I was listening to feedback. People were giving me recommendations and different perspectives to think of. And even my daughters, as they were having these homework um, challenges, I was talking with them and a lot of their ideas I incorporated um, into my recommendations. Nice. 
and you mentioned the word passionate, right? People have such strong feelings about homework, whether on one side, you know, do away with it or, you know, or the, the extreme importance of it. How did you navigate through those, you know, uh, both sides of it? Because you clearly explained about, you know, the, the really how to break it down and really how to give it uh, and your topics on there. Just fantastic. We're going to get to page 46, deliberate versus traditional homework. Uh, but how did you navigate those strong passions on both sides? I mean, it was pretty easy. Like I said, I wrote the dissertation about grading. I didn't want to do a lot of research, but I've read a lot of books and they're talking about all of the research behind homework. Well, as an educator, and I hear teachers say it a lot, they don't have time to read books. So if I could create a book that was really could be used as a principal or a superintendent as their professional development to really change their homework, how could I create a tool that could guide this? It's not about research, it's about recommendations. If I'm talking about creating meaningful or reasonable homework and I explain what those characteristics are, how can you do that? What questions can you ask? Um, what guiding principles um, can you use? And so really the point was, how could I make a quick read, applicable book that could be used? Um, and like I said, I love images. So I'll put images out on Twitter because I think they can summarize concepts. I think they can provoke conversation and questions. Um, and so that's kind of the point of it. I was kind of thinking, what are some guiding questions I could include in the book? Um, what are some images and tables that could really be written on? And every chapter ends um, with some reflection questions. So I'm putting the, the educators and the readers to work because I want them to reflect because you can read anything, you can go to conferences, but if you don't have an action or an outcome statement afterwards, you may as well just sat at home and watch basketball because you're not doing anything with it. So if I can encourage you to reflect and then encourage you to take action statements and discuss these with other educators, I think it's going to be powerful um, to really have you make some changes instead of just reading and forgetting. Yeah. And you do that, right? You mentioned about the images and the graphics. I mean, I was trying to show it here, but there are so many. I mean, it's really almost a, a workbook that you could use like you said, a professional development as a leader to help facilitate about a, a conversation because sometimes the kids do feel dumped on. Sometimes the adults, the teachers feel they need to do it. Uh, and, and, and really, I don't know, you, you, you did a nice job with it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I liked on page 46 here. This is the one that really got my attention. You have a lot of images in there. Uh, where is it? Here we go. This side. Here we go. Uh, about, you know, deliberate versus traditional homework. So, for example, traditional homework, right, daily, every day or not at all, whereas deliberate, you're being, it's an, it's occasional. Uh, the amount, traditional is unreasonable. You mentioned your daughter, two hours of homework after, after sports, after dinner, after this, you know, uh, the kids need rest, whereas uh, deliberate, concise and efficient. And the one I liked, you have a number of here, the complexity, support, assignment, the due date multiple days to complete it to enhance flexibility. I think is so important. Why don't you touch on that one about the flexibility of the due date versus it's due the next day? Yeah, I think you need to be cognizant of that at the middle school and high school level, especially, but for any grade, if you can give one assignment and you can empower the students with choice where they have multiple days to finish it, I think that just gives them flexibility. If that's the day they have two hours of gymnastics, then they can do it the next day. Um, I think sometimes even in the younger grades, you can just assign something and say it's all due Friday. Um, I know the middle school teachers would say if you 
extend the due date, students procrastinate um, anyway. So why do that? But I think part of the power of that is giving the student the choice. And the other part is empowering that flexibility because they have multiple teachers. And so if you have four teachers all assigning 40 minutes of homework, add that up. That's a lot of homework. Mm -hmm. If you give them 20 minutes and multiple days to finish, they can finish it in different increments when they have time. So as much as you can give them choice, um, it does take some planning for the teacher. Um, but I think ultimately, if we're cognizant of the challenges people are facing, and like I said, I make that connection to remote learning, you have to be cognizant of synchronous learning, which is live, or asynchronous independent practice. And if they're sitting in front of a screen for six hours, and now you want them to finish two more hours, what flexibility can you give them? You want them to get outside and exercise and do something. Um, but if you're giving them multiple days, um, another thing with that multiple due dates is also just giving them choice. I mean, it might be um, allowing them to choose a type of problem that they could finish. Um, another one is varying up where you are in the learning. If everyone is learning at the beginning with some exploratory um, and then differentiated practice, but by the end of the unit, there's some creativity opportunities where there's opportunities for innovation and creating. I think everyone can benefit from it. But ultimately, you know, the choice um, and the multiple days to complete, I think, empowers that flexibility. Yeah. And you touched on it here, Eric, talking about, you know, kids being on the screen and then more, you know, has has virtual learning changed the relationship with homework? What what has this pandemic done with the relationship with homework? I just laugh. My 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 uh, seventh grader last week said, "Well, my teacher says bye, have a great day." And then she assigns me an hour and a half of homework. And again, it's it's if everyone's doing that, you, the kid can't have a good day um, because they're on their computer and sometimes they're taking a break on their phone. And so again, I think that's just another reason. One of the topics I also talk about is just that concise homework. So when I'm talking about meaningful homework. That's the second part. But reasonable is completion time, complexity, and frequency. So for complexity, you know, how rigorous is it? Um, how complex is it? Is it reasonable? Um, when we're talking about meaningful, you have to give them a meaningful purpose, meaningful learning targets, meaningful format, and meaningful sequence. And I think in remote learning setting, you need to be cognizant of this. How can you just give them an exit ticket, um, a concise assignment, where it's just one or two questions, you should be able to differentiate um, so the student does not have excessive amounts. Um, so again, I think it's just being aware of the student, giving them some choice, and being creative about how it is assigned. Because as much as you want to not always assign online work, they're online when they're doing the synchronous instruction, they're online when they're looking for the assignment, and then they're on their phones as well. So as much as you can just make it more reasonable and concise, um, I think that's going to help a long way. Yeah. Well said, and, and you touched on a lot of points there. If you happen to be watching live, you have a question for Dr. Eric Youngman uh, and I about this. We'd love for you to jump on. I, my biggest fan is watching Eric, my mom, and hopefully, Mom, I, I did all my homework uh, when I was supposed to. Uh, don't wrap me out here on uh, live podcast. <laughs> Eric, how, how about you, right? You, 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 wrote, you said you wrote the book in two months. Like, how? I mean, it, it, it's big. It's got a ton of graphics. Like, how did you how did you get this done in two months? I mean, I had the ideas because I had to create presentations for my school district. And then mm -hmm. I, again, 
as I'm driving, we might have been driving to a soccer tournament in Minnesota. Um, I'm thinking of some ideas and I'm telling one of my daughters to write it down. So my, my brain is always working. Um, yeah. When I'm mowing the lawn and driving, that's probably when I have my best ideas because yes. I have these concepts and then that's where I start to make those connections. So um, once in a while I'm scribbling, but usually if I have a daughter in the car, I'm asking them to write down those ideas. But I'm constantly learning every conversation, um, anything on Twitter, I have a little note section in my phone and I'll write all those ideas down. And so I'll have it numbered. And right now I'm probably at number 200 and I just yeah. keep making connections. And after I write something, then I'll make a, a slide about it. I think that's what's happening um, where I might make about 20 slides and I'd tweet about it. And then I would start to connect a couple of those and those would come into a bigger idea. Um, and recently that's what I've been doing with my blogs too. So um, I wrote a lot about grading and homework and now I'm writing a lot about growth mindset. But really what it is, is I'm trying to read some inspiring work about growth mindset and then it helps me think of a concept. And after I get three or four good slides, um, then I create a blog about it. And lately I've been working with Teach Better, but it's a kind of cool way to do it because you have the slide, which is just that quick graphic. But then if you can connect it um, and add some depth to it and ask some thought provoking questions, that seems to be working out for me now. So again, usually it's just isolated thoughts because I'm walking around the classrooms um, at my five different schools. I'm listening to my daughters. I'm listening to my wife um, and I'm and I'm reading at Twitter and any one of those ideas, I'm like, huh, I could relate that to homework or huh, that could connect to a question I could ask or better yet, that could be a recommendation about homework. And so it's just constantly thinking. Um, again, I'm driving my kids to basketball games and not now during the pandemic, but you have to get them there 45 minutes early, they're warming up. Well, while they're warming up, I'm walking around the school and I'm taking notes and just connecting all those. So, you know, I'm always writing. I have a piece of paper with me and I kind of look like I'm antisocial, but usually I'm multitasking. I'm usually listening to a podcast. I have my earphones in. I'm listening at, at 2x speed. And anytime I hear something cool, you know, I'll, I'll make a note so I can connect something on Twitter or a book. I love it. And, and I'm laughing, Eric. I do the same exact thing at my kids' game. We get them there an hour early. They like being early. And I look at that as I have an hour of yep. brain time. And what can I do? I'm writing a book. I, I do talk to text. I, I yep. think the people at my kids' soccer game are watching me like, yeah, you know, like, but it's valuable time and very similar. You, your brain gets going. Uh, you know, I think that's a superpower that, the, you know, and I focus on shutting it down. Like when I'm with my family, when I'm with my kids, because I've been guilty of that as well. But I think that's a great trade. And, and kudos to you for maximizing that time all with the message of trying to help people. That's fantastic. I try. Does, do you ever get criticized by your wife or your daughters? Like, hey, dad, like, come back here. We're not talking about homework. We're talking about, you know. It depends. They... I mean, usually for soccer, I'm standing off to the side. I mean, I used to play soccer and basketball and baseball. And as an athlete, I was super engaged and very passionate about it. And then yeah. I started coaching my daughters and I was amped and I was excited, you know, but now as a parent, that's not my job. I'm not supposed to coach. I'm not supposed to say a word. So it's actually better if I have my headphones in, um, then I'm I'm not going to say anything to the ref. I know you're a ref. Um, so that's something I would never do, but I don't need to coach my kid. That's not my job. So I'd rather have my headphones in and watch them. Um, and then I'm not coaching them from the side. So um, I'm watching them all the time. And you know, when I'm at home, same thing. 
I need to put my phone down a little bit more. I think I'm getting a little bit better at it. Um, but again, yeah, try to focus on in the moment topics. Um, but like I said, sometimes I'll be watching sporting events and, and parents are not behaving as they should. Um, so this helps me because again, I'm just quietly listening. I'm clapping for my daughter and watching, but I don't need to say a word. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Uh, Eric, you know, you got your doctorate, you're an author, uh, and I believe in the concept that success leaves clues, right? Um, who are some mentors along the way that have helped you? You mentioned about the woman uh, who kind of got you going with the book, but who was a, a leadership mentor that had a, a, a profound impact on your life? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately you have to have the courage to ask the correct questions at the correct time to the correct people. And so mm -hmm. I think there's been multiple people. I think I had the courage to ask Kathy Vadrot, like you were talking, and, and I'm very thankful for her feedback to me. Um, but really, I mean, I talked to lots of educators and athletes, you know, previous principals and superintendents, they've been great. Um, but now it's even shifted to Twitter where I'm just asking someone, if someone's good, I'm going to be courageous enough to ask them a question. Um, I'm going to DM them. I'm going to email them and I'm going to learn with them. So I think it's really just, you know, being courageous. And then the second part of that is learning and listening to them. So if someone's going to give you advice, you need to learn from that. Um, and so, like I said, I've learned a lot from the administrators within Illinois. Um, I'll go to other presentations and I'm at conferences and I'm trying to ask questions to other people. So, but right now it, it's everyone. Um, you know, just really trying to learn from what other people are going through in the pandemic um, as they're writing books. Whatever topic we're talking about, I really try to reach out to the experts and learn from the best. Yeah. And you and I connected through Twitter and, and you absolutely do that. I, I love it that you ask the question and then you take action. Uh, and social media, I know that I, I'm watching that the documentary I'm going to watch with my family uh, gets a bad rap, but you're really using Twitter as a powerful learning tool. Uh, tell me about that journey, Eric. Um, well, it's interesting. Um, I learned about it, I think, four years ago um, at a workshop. Um, mm -hmm. And from that, I just started to follow some different educators. And really, mm -hmm. it was about when I was doing my dissertation, I was learning a lot from grading. And so I would listen to Tom Gusky and um, yeah, I would interact on an SBL chat, a standards-based learning chat, and I'm interacting with other authors about grading, which was just tremendous. So that was unique. And then I continued to read and retweet, and I'm like, all right, I need to start creating something. So I, st I finally found a topic, and that was homework and growth mindset. And now I'm reading different topics, but people who follow me, they may see a lot. I'm tweeting with the, the hashtag growth mindset because I just think it's so powerful. I want to be a good model for my daughters. I want them to learn um, to be resilient and courageous. And I think athletes and educators and students can learn from that. And so I'm trying to look at what other hashtag I'm interested in. It might be homework. Um, it might be grading. It might be growth mindset. And I learn from what other experts are saying. And lately, I've been really focusing on quotes. So um, I'm, I'm really interested right now in hope and courage um, and confidence. And so I'm finding two good quotes um, from amazing historians and leaders. And then I'm putting those on a, on a Google slide. And then I'm creating my own quote above it um, to try to connect those thoughts and use my own words. Because it's fine to retweet um, and share others people's thoughts. But now I want to create. And that's what I want to also model for our students as well. You know, we want to not just consume, 
we want to create. So how can you leave a footprint? Um, how can you interact with authentic audiences? Um, during this pandemic, it's a really challenging time. And our district and other districts have to make these challenging decisions. But what I can wholeheartedly say, hey, in Ohio, in New York, in Australia, this is how it's working and happening. I think that's very powerful because then you're just more informed about the topics. And so I'll I'll purposely, deliberately search out specific hashtags and authors and I'll follow them for a while just to learn from them. Um, lately, I've been trying to learn from a lot of conferences. Um, I didn't go to ISTE, which is a technology conference this year, um, but I followed them on Twitter just to see what people were learning about. Um, one of the topics there was hope. Um, not anything that I thought of, but I'm like, huh, during this pandemic, that's a great topic. How about I start to look into that? So mm -hmm. I love following conferences. I love learning from principals. I love seeing what teachers are doing. Um, I'm just looking for good ideas. Once in a while, I just see some funny videos. And again, I try to connect that with growth mindset about resilience. Um, but again, I think it's a way for me to learn um, and unwind. But really right now, I'm trying to create and share as well. Yeah, good for you, man. That's, that was very inspiring. The whole thing you just said there. Uh, that was really inspiring. I don't know if you watched with your girls. Uh, I'm watching it on Netflix now. Brene Brown's uh, Call to Courage. Um, I'll have to take a look. Yeah, really inspiring, really good. Uh, again, talking about courage and growth mindset. So you can watch it with your girls. Uh, I mean, it's for boys too, but uh, I, I'm watching now. It's great. And then uh, uh, I love the acronym for hope. Hold on, possibilities exist. Yeah, so good, good for you. Um, Eric, you mentioned a lot about your school and, and things like that, but how about away from school? What what are some things that you do to, to sharpen your saw? You mentioned about social media, uh, being fit, you know, and being involved with your girls' sports. How about some things that, that else you do to, to sharpen your own saw away from school? Golf, soccer, and basketball with my daughters. Unfortunately, I played a lot of soccer and basketball, and I have some bad back issues right now. I have slipped discs. And I can't really play anymore. So my exercise is more walking instead of jogging right now. Um, yeah. And also golf, though. But it's been great because I've been able to introduce those sports to my daughters. Um, they are continuing to play them, but now I hope they choose them. Um, my freshman um, was just focusing on soccer and basketball, but she was in a lot of golf tournaments a couple of years ago. And I keep saying the only way you're getting a college scholarship is for golf. It's not for basketball. It's not for soccer. It might be academics, but I keep saying you got to earn that golf scholarship to Stanford. And finally, for two years, she blew me off. Um, but now all of a sudden she started asking again, hey, next year, I think I'm going to play golf. So we'll see. For girls, I think it's a great way to earn a scholarship, um, but it's a good way of learning um, responsibility and character. Um, so, again, I love golfing and it's even better if I can do that with my daughters. For you, man. Good. This was great, Eric. I learned a lot. You're, you're somebody that people need to hear, like I talked about, that getting that voice out there. So we make sure we get this podcast out. Uh, again, if you're watching live uh, or listening, we are going to do a book giveaway uh, on Twitter. And uh, we'd love to get a copy, a signed copy in your, in your hands of, of Eric's book. Eric, we're going to get wrapping up here before we get to, to rapid fire. Was there anything else uh, that you wanted to share or that I didn't ask you about? More, I mean, just thank you to families and educators for their creativity, collaboration, and flexibility. It's been a challenging times, and educators are doing an awesome job. Um, and again, I just want to continue uh, to empower that growth mindset. If we can empower autonomy and agency and ownership, I think we can do that if we talk about responsibility 
resiliency, reflection, and resourcefulness. Um, and with everything, I think we need to get out of our comfort zone um, and get into our growth and learning zone. We need to take some risks um, and commit with focus and grit. Awesome, man. Well said. Let's get the rapid fire so we can get you home uh, to take care of that family. And uh, uh, these are quick questions, Eric. The, whatever comes to the top of your mind, are you ready? Absolutely. Here we go. Last book you read. Uh, Visible Learning for Teachers by John Hattie. Wow. Okay. Have you read um, Growth Mindset, by the way? Uh, Mindset by Dweck. Have you, have you read it yet? Absolutely. Great book. Yeah. She's the uh, the guru there. Last movie you saw? Uh, probably a family movie, um, Jingle Jangle and Elf, just with the kids. Okay. You watch uh, uh, the Christmas Chronicles too with the kids? Not yet. Get it in before Christmas. It was excellent. Favorite place to travel? Uh, Caribbean golf course and beach. I think the last one I've been at was Dominican Republic, but I love that clear Caribbean water. And I want to golf as much as possible. Good. He like, got a passion there. Uh, Eric and I were talking off air. I had a chance to go up around Lake Michigan, and uh, he's trying to get to the warmer weather. But if you've never been up that way, uh, I, I just thought it was fantastic. We came straight down. We did Green Bay, Milwaukee, and then uh, that we didn't we didn't have time for Chicago. So that's next time when <laughs> I come when I come to Libertyville. There you go. Uh, how often do people sing the opening to YMCA when they're talking about you? I have to admit, with my last name, um, it's definitely become a favorite for my kids and me. So if there's parties, we'll dance to that one for sure. <laughs> when I come to hear you speak at a big-time conference, when you're the keynoter, I want you walking out to that. All right. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> uh, we were singing it. My wife, as we were getting the questions ready, we were singing it. I said, he must get this all the time. I must be so tired of him hearing this joke. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Eric, you shared a lot of passions, a lot of things that get you going and motivating. But how about some things that, that, that bother you, that kind of get under your skin, maybe a pet peeve? Uh, inefficiency. Uh, but then also loud cars that wake my family up when we're trying to sleep. Come with me on that. <laughs> we have a neighbor that moved in. They, the house has been empty 16 years, and they got that thing on the muffler. <laughs> I hear them every morning. I try to be patient, but if my kids are sleeping or I'm sleeping, yeah, that's that's annoying to me. <laughs> that's a pet peeve. How about a, a successful morning routine, something you do in the morning that puts you in a position for success? Well, I'd golf if I can. If not, I, I'm walking and I'm listening to a podcast on the 2x speed so I can listen to multiple ones. But that just clears my voice or clears my mind and, and gets me a little exercise in a little bit. So every morning I'll do that. Favorite thing about Lake Michigan? Um, I love looking at it. I love swimming in it. Um, when I, I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin, so I would play my high school soccer games right on right on the lake. And now I can go visit Milwaukee and Chicago, and it's always in the background. So it's beautiful to look at. Yeah, it really is. Favorite Big Ten team? Hmm. I grew up in Wisconsin, uh, so I'm partial to the Wisconsin Badgers. But I love watching fast-scoring basketball teams. So I was surprised at how University of Illinois did very well last week against Duke. So um, – I'm, I'm rooting for them both, uh, but I, 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 the edge goes to Wisconsin Badgers. Okay. And you're in the heart of their Big Ten country there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm a Big Ten chance fan. We're not far from Penn State here, and uh, uh, but I, yeah, I love the Big Ten, and, and uh, you're right in the mix there. So, uh, Eric, a lot of people again stressed, frustrated. You know, what is something that you noticed is a positive that has come out of this COVID time? I mean, I just think it's where people have been collaborative, creative, resilient, and flexible. Um, I think more specifically, I think teachers rapidly modified their instructional practices um, and they enhanced that with technology and they connected with students. And so there may have been an initiative that might take a year and we packed it into one month and all of a sudden the teachers learned it in a week and were using it with their students. So I think there were some nice um, changes that utilized technology um, while, while they were still aware of those connections with the students. Best purchase under a hundred bucks that has had a great impact on your life? Uh, we do a lot of family games. Um, so I would just say two of our, our current family games that we like are Taco Cat, Goat Cheese Pizza, and Chameleon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's the first one again? Taco Cat, Goat Cheese Pizza. It's a card game. <laughs> that sounds cool. I might have to check that out. Something about Eric Youngman that people do not know about. I guess probably a sore subject. I love dogs. I grew up with dogs, and my daughters ask me every day to get a dog, but I keep saying no because we're just too busy. So even after this pandemic ends, yes, we're home now, but they'll be at school and sports or work all day. So I'm saying no, and they're not happy with me. Mm, right. I hear you. I'm a dog lover myself. Um, Eric, you, know, you, you dropped a lot of knowledge here. I got two pages of notes. It was fantastic. Is there a quote? Is there something that, that you know, is your go-to quote or something motivating that you, you want to end this with, with a quote? Yeah, there's probably two. So Carol Dweck, um, as you mentioned about growth mindset. So it's just a basic quote, love challenges, be intrigued by mistakes, enjoy effort, and keep on learning. Um, and then, like I said, I like to pair up some quotes and create my own. And the growth mindset quote I've been pushing out lately um, is learn and improve from feedback, reflection, and self-assessment as you creatively and courageously persevere with a growth mindset. So I keep putting that one out there because I think those concepts of listening to feedback and reflecting are very powerful. Um, and again, I think the more I read about creativity um, and showing courage, um, I think those are just powerful attributes that can help everyone. Well said. Eric, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to order the book, if they want you to come present, what would be the best way they can get in touch with you? Twitter is my primary connection. So at Eric underscore Youngman, and it's Eric with a K. Um, and then the book is through Routledge. Um, but you can just Google it, 12 Characteristics of Deliberate Homework. Um, but hit me up on Twitter if you have questions. I love to um, interact with educators and share questions and learn from each other. Uh, but Twitter right now is, is the primary vehicle. Yeah. And I want to get on a chat with you. Let me know. DM me the next uh, um, uh, chat you're joining because I want to go on with you because you had a lot to share today. Uh, this was Dr. Eric Youngman. Uh, again, he's only on Twitter four years now, he said. And and, and look where he's taking him. Uh, Eric, you really spoke very highly of the work you're doing. Uh, really impressed and, and really happy to have you on. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's awesome listening to your podcast and reading your book and seeing what you're doing. Um, so continue to empower and inspire other educators. Yeah, you too. Let's cue this music up, Eric. Hopefully I can 
play. You don't go away. Uh, this was Education, Leadership, and Beyond, everyone. Show number 150. Uh, pleased about that. And really uh, excited to have Dr. Eric Youngman on, make this connection with him. Uh, keep doing your best, everyone. Keep being patient. Uh, and, and just keep doing your best through this time. Eric, thanks so much. Thank you. Stay safe. Let's get this music queued up here. And off we go.